Hey, podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Uh, This is a throwback episode with Leah Freeman, one of our favorite conversations of all time. I know you're going to love it. Just want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Kuhn Hair Cosmetics. And uh, as I shared on the last episode, we're doing a few weeks of throwbacks while we get the new format ready for you. Uh, You're going to absolutely love it. Um, Comes with all kinds of bells and whistles blog. We're going to be posting the video uh, episodes on YouTube as well. So you'll hear more about that as it comes. But um, thanks again for listening and enjoy this episode with Leah Freeman. Yep, you got it. Boom. All right. Well, sounds like it's time to uh, start the podcast. John, what do you think? So hi everybody, welcome to Shop Talk, brought to you by One Two Three Go. I'm your co-host Chris Suleiman, and as usual, I'm sitting here with my great friend, Mister John Palmieri, and we have a really amazing guest, uh, super special with us today. Somebody who jumped on last minute, just an amazing woman. I want you to know, uh, you're you're one of my very favorite educators, and I believe. At the end of your career, which is going to be a very long time from now, I think you're going to be looked back on as a, as a true industry icon, somebody who really changed the face of the industry as far as education and have been a spectacular mentor or leader or hero that women in the industry could look up to. So we're on uh, today with Leah Freeman. Welcome, Leah. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about, but thank you. <laughs> I would love to be her. <laughs> yeah, well, you are, and you're currently, so you own a salon, it's Fuse Salon, and where is that actually? So I own Fuse Salon Spa. It's located in Frankfurt, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes south of Chicago. Awesome, yes. and you're also the Global Healing Director for Lanza. Yes. Did I say so that I'm one of the glo- yeah, 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 close. So I'm one of the global creative directors. Um, I have the honor and opportunity to work with two amazing gentlemen, uh, Mr. Matt Swinney, who's based out of Minnesota, and Mr. Amon Carver, who's now from New York, but now based yeah. out of Chicago. Two, two amazing stylists, and uh, hopefully yes. we'll get to talk with them sometime soon. Um, so, you know, typically what we love to do is keep this conversation. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that we're about education and just expanding the industry and sharing. And so in the spirit, John... Why don't you uh, start us off? Well, <clears throat> thank you, Leah. One of the things I always like to know is how we got here, you know, because I think that's important, how we started. So the yeah. question to ask is, why hairdressing? How did you end up where you're at? Why in the world did you choose this career? How'd yeah, so, yeah, that's a very interesting question. So uh, I was probably, I was actually in the lower 10% of my high school graduating class. I always struggled mm-hmm. in education. I've always... I don't know. I was, I was super dyslexic. I'm still to this day, I'm believe it or not. And I always struggled with spelling and hearing phonics. And so I was just not a scholar at all. And I really, really wanted to go to college because all my friends were going and that was like the next step. Right. So my dad uh, and I had a conversation one at the table and he's like, I'd love to send you to university, but I just don't think you'll succeed to be honest. So he suggested I go to a community college for a year. And if I did well there, I could go to any university in the world. Yeah. Well, I lasted about two and a half days. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds I remember like I, yeah, 
I remember I was sitting in the parking lot of Prairie State College with uh, my parents' cell phone bag that was in a plastic baggie. Do you remember? You couldn't yeah. get the, the phone wet. Uh, that was, <laughs> I just totally aged myself. But uh, I called my mom and I said, I'm, I can't do this. I think I want to backpack with a friend of mine through Europe. Yeah. And so I got home and my dad's like, unfortunately, you're not wealthy. And you don't have any money. And at that time, you couldn't have health insurance unless you went to school. And my dad is a big advocate of health insurance. So he suggested I go to trade school. And my mom's like, why don't you go to beauty school? You might be good at it. Well, ironically, I had an eyebrow and a mustache. So I wasn't really into the beauty industry by any means. I never wore makeup. I was a total tomboy. I never even had a boyfriend, my God. So I decided to go and I ended up meeting this iconic woman. Her name is Jennifer Surachewski and another woman named Vivian Dramato. And I ended up working underneath the two of them. And Jen and I have stayed very close friends to this day, but they like showed me the ropes and basically showed me areas of my life that I could excel in that weren't spelling or phonics or didn't include college. So I started doing that. And then I had the opportunity to try out for an education team. Uh, there was a couple of them, to be honest, and um, and just do like local education, you know. So I started doing that with my previous life um, with Redkin, which was a great journey I had with them for about almost 15 years. And I met. just, yeah, that's excellent. Where I met you. And I excelled mm-hmm. in education there. I just did really well with, because I think the reason why is because I struggled so hard in school. So I became to be a storyteller for color and I'm known mm-hmm. for storytelling to this day, you know, so it's not because I think people don't understand. It's because I couldn't understand it. Yeah. So I worked under another gentleman, George Garcia, who was phenomenal. And he pretty much gave me the drive to understand that I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I did that. Yep. He was one of my biggest cheerleaders. And then yeah. I ended up, you know, 15 years in, had the opportunity to move into a director's position for a couple of different brands. Yeah. And I would gotten this phone call from this amazing gentleman named David Burglass. And David owned Lanza. He bought it in 2002. And he comes from, actually quite interesting, his grandfather owned Aquanet Hairspray. And his dad yeah. owned Depp, yeah, his dad owned Depp Hair Gel and LA Looks. Huh. So here's oh, this shit. man. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So yeah. this man owns this color, you know, he just started this color company. And he's like, I need a colorist. I need a director. Yeah. So I talked to him on the phone. And I'm like, this guy is freaking unbelievable. And so I dropped everything I was doing. And I'm like, if I don't take this opportunity, this door will never open again. And so I ended up joining their team uh, based on a recommendation by a gentleman by the name of Andy Meeson, who I will be forever grateful for. And now I sit in this like incredible artistic team. And I don't know, it's just, it's a completely different role. It's a lot of role. I'm not going to lie, but it's taking me places I never thought I would ever be able to. So it's yeah. just my story. So well, let's, um, uh, I've, only, let's, I've, only, I've only, let's just be clear. Yeah. I've only been doing this for three years. So let's be clear yeah. on uh, I, all that, all listen, that time. <laughs> I, think, I think I sat in one of your, one of your first stage presentations at the Chicago uh, ABS show for Lonzo when you, when you first moved over there. I sat front yes. row because you are truly one of my favorites. When I say that, I mean it. Uh, because you because you connect with the audience, and the reason why you do is because you're like us. Look, when we when yeah. when a kid comes to school here, recently we had a girl coming touring the school, and uh, she was a little shy. And I went up to talk to her, 
And I got a little bit of her story and she was talking about how I didn't do well in school and I'm a little bit dyslexic and a little bit ADD. And I said, welcome to the family. <laughs> like, That's the truth. You're, you're, you're in the right place. Yeah. Um, I wanted to touch base on something that I kind of heard in your story, if I could. Yeah, of course. You mentioned it a little bit, but not a lot. You mentioned a little bit about the, your technical journey. But what I really heard was more of a personal development story. You didn't talk a lot about, I just did this amazing color and I knocked out these haircuts. You didn't talk about that. You talked about the people that kind of mentored you through the process and the journey that you took with, I call it personal development, not not stylist development. I didn't hear a whole lot of creative growth there. I heard personal growth. Tell me more about that. So I, I mean, technical growth, I think was, Again, I think it was a lot of mentoring with, like I said, like when I when I actually started doing the Color Noir program at the Redkin Exchange, I think that's where I got my most of my uh, creative mentorship. You know, I think creativity is something that's a really sticky situation. I think people, I mean, I never looked at myself as a creative person. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know. Technically, I've always been a technically sound person. I know that I'm creative because obviously, I mean, I think all hairdressers are. They, everyone's got their own, what visually people I don't know, judge or give testament to what creative is. But I mean, I think to me, it's like the creativity comes in place when you love what you do. So I think it's like, for me, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's actually a a really interesting question. It's kind of stumped me. And I'm a woman of many words. So I'm I'm kind of stumped. (laughs) It was interesting because often when we have this conversation, people talk about their, their technical journey. Right. Yeah. They talk about their creative journey, how they got to be a better hairdresser, how they got better at haircuts, how they got better at color. And, you know, please, you know, hear me. This is to me really interesting. You talk yeah. more about your personal development piece, how, you know, you struggled yeah. in school and then you, you went to community college and, and then you decided to grow more as a, you know, obviously it reflected in your hairdressing career. Yeah. Right. But you talked about how you grew as a person and how that yeah. more than, uh, than anything. And, and here's the thing. I love that because I think that's one of the pieces that this industry does for us is that it yeah. helps grow as people, um, not just as artists. And yeah. know, I'm commenting on it more because I just thought it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciate that. I think the thing is, is like I was told by every school counselor that I would always amount to, I'd amount to something, but I'd be a better housewife. I'm a horrible housewife. My husband will tell you, like, I, I'm horrible. I'm like, if I could pay someone to do it, I'll pay them to do it. You know, it's like, even if I'm broke, I'll pay him to do it. So, you know, for me, it's like, I think the thing that we, we, a lot of people hide behind is their craft, you know? And the thing is for me, I think personally, I was always told I would never, like I said, I'd be, I amount to a house. I don't defame any of those things. I mean, I think everybody has a purpose in their life. And it's like, I always thought I was going to fall in this bracket of whatever someone told me to be. And it's like, I actually grew in a person that I never thought I'd ever be because of all those people. Right. And I think sometimes I find, especially in a lot of industries, you hear my daughter, she's, she's marching right now. Um, one of the things I noticed with, you know, one of these people, these people, um, that amount in this industry is they, I think they think they get somewhere on their own. It's like, Oh no, sweetheart. Like someone helped you to get there. Someone pushed you in a direction or made you realize something inside yourself. You didn't see inside yourself. So I think for me, it's, I just really grateful for the people yeah. I've passed. I've crossed. Cause I would not be here today. It wasn't for those, those hand selected people. I can promise you. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe so- that's it. 
Hey, podcasters, wanted to do a quick outtake here. In this part of the podcast, the sound got a little tweaked. Uh, we had just asked Leah her philosophy on being overprepared. Uh, she gave us a great answer. Um, enjoy it. So I think the thing is with people is, you know, we're expected as presenters to script our whole life out. But when you have a script, you, st- you talk from here, your, your head, and you forget to talk from your heart. And when you talk to your, from your heart, you connect with people. And I think the thing is I've recognized and I, I know I have a really great ability to is the connection with people because I do what they do. I have the same customers that they do. They just look different. I have really great customers and I have really shitty customers. You know, it's like, I still do hair behind the chair. And I find that the minute I walk on stage, people have this thing that they think that main stage artists do models and they do celebrities and all that's great. But the reality is it doesn't touch majority of the industry. Is it interesting to our industry? Yes. But to me, what makes me relatable to the consumer or to the audience is the fact that I speak from my heart, not from my head. And the minute I stopped writing down bullet points of things I had to cover, my classes became better and better and better. So I always tell people, the more you prepare, the more you will fail. It's just my opinion. So you just can't always over-prepare. You know, it's like, and I'm not saying don't prep. I'm not saying come unprepared, but I'm saying don't over-prepare for the course, you know? That's, you've changed that. That's, that's evolved for you. Yes, it is completely evolved. I mean, for me, it's like, do I still prepare? Yes. But I also found myself like, and probably the last time I saw you, I was still working the same realm. And I found myself in like this hamster wheel. It was like, I was running in this hamster wheel and I wasn't evolving. And I think what I started noticing was, you know, I'd walk into shows a little bit of a different attitude, or I would create a conversation with an audience I never did before. Like one of my biggest fears was a Q and A with an audience. You know, I would never do that because I wasn't prepared for it. What happens yeah. if someone asks a question and I don't know the answer? What are they going to think about me? You know, so those things, I think once I stopped getting, I started going over those humps. That's when I started like evolving as a human being in general. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I, I, I'm curious, you know, Chris talked about evolution from being someone that was overprepared and, you know, you kind of expressed how I'm less I don't go to that level anymore because I want to speak from my heart. Um, yeah. Does that, you know, where did, how did that transition happen? Like what, I, what I'm getting at is somewhere along the line, there was a trigger that said, you know what, I'm doing this wrong, you know, or this isn't working quite as well as it used to work. Um, yep. What was that transition like for you? Like, how did you make that gap from being overprepared just ain't working like it used to? Yeah, I can give you where the act is... I can give you the exact moment it happened. I was in, I was in a different country. I won't, I was in a different country. I won't mention any countries. I was with a mentor of mine. I won't mention any names, but I was doing a hands-on class and they ripped into me in front of an audience of about 500 people for not being on time. And I remember sitting, I actually went backwards in my career. I found myself that day going backwards and I, and I remember thinking like, I don't think I'm cut up for this industry because I wasn't on time. And it was this moment I'll never forget. I was sitting on the airplane and I was flying home and I, you know, and, and this when I mean, obviously I continued my career, but I remember flying home thinking, are you kidding me right now? I sell bubbles. I sell shampoo. That's my job. My job is to sell shampoo and we're not saving lives out there. We're not, we're, we're dressing hair. We're dressing people's lives. We're making people feel better. And 
it was that moment where I started realizing that not only did I have to speak up on behalf of myself and know that I went over because I had to go over and defend myself at that moment. But most importantly, that's when I started taking my stages a lot less serious because it was like, I knew as a, as someone who was being mentored that I would never mentor like that. Like that was a life growth for me. And it's like, I think people look at experiences in their life, like, Oh my gosh, it was so bad. It's like, no, you were meant to experience that. So that way your experience will prevail differently on someone else's end. You know, it's like at that moment, we both learned something that day. But for me, I think was probably the prevailing moment where I decided that like, I can't always speak from here. I have to speak from here because if I don't speak from here, people won't know who I really am. And I also think it makes you less of a target if you want my honest opinion. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, social bullying and trolling is huge. And I, it's awesome. And I know you probably have both have experienced this, but I recently was just trolled horribly on a, on a magazine website. And this woman, I don't even know, was like, are you effing kidding me? This girl is amazing. She's the nicest person I've ever meet. How dare you troll her? And I thought, because I've delivered my soul to stage or my heart on stage, people realize like, holy shit, she's a real human being. She's not some robotic individual, you know? So yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a lot of it too, you know, but <laughs> yeah, making the industry realize that we have freaking feelings, you know, it's like that whole thing. So yeah, yeah a million percent. Uh, speaking of which, I, before we kind of started recording and just talking about being real, being you and, and, and being in a real life, uh, you know, a lot of times I know when I used to hear somebody on a recording or on a, you know, podcast or back in the day when we listened to tapes of, you know, famous people in the industry or people that were doing interesting things. I always thought they weren't a real person, but one of the important topics that we kind of talked about in our uh, pre-discussion was the fact that you're, you're totally a real person. You're like behind the chair, you're a mom, you're a wife, um, and you still travel the world and, you know, kind of how I know we wanted to talk a little bit about to this, to the moms in the industry, which I think are heroes, uh, in our industry who stand behind the chair every day. Uh, how, how did, how do you balance all this as you're continuing to be yourself, be authentic, evolve as a, you know, on global stages, uh, and then go home and be a, re- you know, be regular, be a regular person. Uh, yeah. talk a little bit about that. So I think the first thing is I was actually being interviewed and I just, of course, I know you can appreciate me saying this and I was being interviewed by, I don't know, whatever editor. And we were sitting there talking and she goes, how do you do it as a mom, as a wife? And I said, do what? She said, travel. And I said, I have a question to ask you. Would you ask my husband that? And she said, no, she wouldn't have. And it was this moment of like, think people realize people think because we're women that we can't be the one that's gone, you know? So First and foremost, I will tell you this, your support system at home is number one. If you have drama in your house, you cannot travel. You cannot conduct drama on the road and have two different lives. It doesn't work. So like my relationship with my husband is square, squared away. We have an amazing relationship. Communication is key. We make sure we reach out to each other every day. We have a language that we deal with. It's 100% communication and support at home is number one. Number two is work-life balance. So when I am home, I make sure that I dedicate a certain amount of time with my daughter that's just exclusive with my daughter. So that's putting my phone down, not being on Instagram, not worried about a conference call, making sure we're going places. I always make sure of that. 
Something else that I've incorporated in my life in the probably last year is allow your children to be your intern. So like my daughter comes to the salon with me for a lot of reasons, because I want her to see what I do and what I provide for other people. It provides her skill too. Like she's got an amazing skill level to relate to adults and strangers and all that great stuff. But also too, I think it creates a sense of realism with your, with your customer. So like, for example, if I have to call off work, my customer knows I'm a human being because I have children. Because I think consumers look at us, or guests look at us, like like we looked at teachers when we were in first grade. Totally. It's like, I was just telling some teachers this the other day. Like, you I'm don't like, have yeah. yeah. You don't eat? You, you, yeah. you, know, what sp- you know what a spoon yeah. is? You like, or you see about, yeah. yeah, you see about yeah. Walgreens, you're like, holy shit, you, have, you, you buy is medicine? Is that you put pants on like I do? wine in your shopping cart? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, I remember you know, the first so, time I watched, I walked by the teacher's uh, lunchroom when I was in grammar school and looked in the door because it was open and they were sitting there eating. And, I was and, like, smoke, and smoking. And smoking. And smoking. And I was like, should <laughs> they do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's something that's also important too. So um, I think, and also too, I think my one of my most val- valuable things I, I provide for myself um, is whenever I'm talking to people that want to do what we do is remember like being in an airplane, you have to put the oxygen mask on first and then assist others. And I just learned that a couple of years ago. And I always would be like the yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'll do whatever. Oh, I would go to this salon and they would give me this impossible color correction. And here I was knee deep 10 hours in. I now know that the value of the word no is you can't live without it doing what we do. You can't, you have to have standards. You have to have boundaries and boundaries are created by your values. So for me, doing what we do is creating values. And with those values come boundaries. And once I started doing those, I started excelling in my career and excelling at home. And the last thing is if you do or want to do what we do as service providers in industry is when you're in the field teaching whether it's the United States, Canada, or Europe, or whatever, you are being served 24-7. Yeah. That means someone's making your bed, they're cleaning your room, they're putting fresh towels in your room, all that stuff. When you get home, it is important that you serve your family. Because the thing is, I would get home, I remember at first, I would put, I would get home and I, I like my towel would be on the floor. I thought, oh, who's going to pick this up? <laughs> right? <laughs> but, Housekeeping didn't come today. It's like, no, but even with that, I've realized when I'm in a hotel room now, I pick my towels up. It's like, we're so used to being served that when we get home, we forget we need to serve as people. Totally. So, you know, and I, I do that with my own family. I make sure that, you know, I dedicate days with my family that are completely full of service. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, You know, I'm just kind of reflecting on that story that you shared earlier about that transition when you got kind of dressed down a little bit by your mentor, uh, kind of had a change about being prepared and now you're a little, you know, now you don't over-prepare so much, right? Yeah. And you, and I'm kind of connecting that to the story of you were interviewed by the editor who you said, hey, would you ask that question of my husband? And the answer is yeah. no, she wouldn't have, no. right? Do you think that, yeah. Is the expectation for women in our industry different than it is for men? 
if your viewers could see my face right now, if your viewers could see my face, and the answer is, oh my God, yes. And and the reason I asked that is because, you know, there's Chris and I, the the two bearded guys talking to you, right? And, um, you know, so we have our our view of the world, right? Yeah, of course. Through the eyes of being guys, right? Just how we were born. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I don't know any different. Right. This is born to being, you're, you're born a legacy right off the bat. Yeah. You're a legend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to hear one more time when I was working with Chris, oh, Chris Olame, he's amazing. I'm like, oh. Chris <laughs> <Olamay."> <laughs> that's because he, he wears pants. You know? I know. <laughs> and Leah yeah. wears the best wardrobe, literally. <laughs> the I appreciate that. No, they're yeah, not. Yeah. They're two they're, there's all kinds of cool I am a shoe. I am a shoe. I'm a shoe fanatic for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, to answer your question, the answer is yeah. For yeah. your viewers out there, my jaw hit the table um, yeah. when you asked that. And the question is, yeah, I always use the example of the guys I work with now, who are extremely talented, but they're also like two of the hottest guys in the industry. So I'll yeah. walk on stage with a Matt Swinney and Emma Carver, and they'll look at them and think, oh my god, what do they have to say? And they'll look at me and think, what the hell is she going to tell us? It's like, you can feel it. It's like, they almost have this moment of like, I have to earn the right 10 times harder than the two guys do. And it's just not me. It's every female. Because I think woman to woman, it's not that we don't support our race, but we don't. You know, it's like, sometimes we see women on stage or we see women in areas that we wish we could be in. And all of a sudden they become... I mean, oh, like, ew. But for a guy, it's like, oh, you know, it's like it's immediate. And it's not just, and it's just not from a main stage perspective. And let's talk the salon industry. If Chris Solomay is working in my salon and me and Chris are working side by side and I'm cutting a lady's hair and I say to her, you know, you would look fantastic at about shoulder length. She would look at me like I was batshit crazy. If Chris walked over and said, you should get a pixie or I should cut it to shoulder length or we should shave a side. Chris, whatever you say, I trust you. (laughs) I trust you. It's like, I can't even earn the trust. I mean, I've had that in model rooms. I'll have Matt. I'll say, Matt, go talk to that girl and tell her she needs highlights. Yeah. I've already told her for two hours. She doesn't care. Listen, I feel your pain. I have to work next day. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. (laughs) Chris said. So the answer is yes. Well, well, it's it's not that easy, but what I will say is this. What I will you know what? It might have been that easy when I had hair on the top of my head. Yeah. But I but I will say this. I, I, since we're since we are on the salon uh, and yeah. we're moving into that topic, uh, yes. you know, let's let's talk let's talk salon life because a lot of people, you know, that'll listen to this, they aspire to the education side. Some won't. Some, you know, are hairdressers that work in salons and they're interested about like real, real life salon life. Um, you're yeah. still like living super successfully in that uh, phase of your life as well. You're a salon owner. So since we're on the topic of salon life, um, you know, it, it's interesting because I left behind the chair for a couple of years to work. At, I went corporate at Kuhn yep. and I worked as a technical director there. And then I went over and worked with Living Proof for a little while. And I really missed salon life. Um, and I was worried when I came back 
or there was this nervousness that I had when I came back that Instagram and all of this stuff had changed it so much that all of my, you know, face-to-face customer service and creating a great guest experience and all that stuff, I almost had was nervous that like that had gone out of style. Um, what I found out was it didn't. In fact, it's more relevant now than it's ever been because of the fact that people can really brand themselves super strategically, um, you know, on, on social. Yet when people come into salon, they could deliver a different experience. So uh, share a little bit about just kind of the balance there, the difference between what, you know, what your image looks like in the world and what happens really day to day in the salon. And what are some of your kind of thoughts on success and, you know, treating guests and, um, you know, that part of your life? Yeah. So I'm, I'll start first with the salon portion and then I'll go to social media next. Is that yeah. cool? Cool. So from, from the salon perspective, I, I own my salon. So um, the number one thing I think as a salon owner, and if I can give any advice to a salon owner is defend your staff. I've, I've been to a lot of salons in my life. I've probably crossed and been in thousands of locations and it is, it's something I say to every salon owner because I feel like our staff is so dedicated to us and there's sometimes we don't dedicate ourselves to them. And I mean, like, I'll get a phone call from like, let's just say I get a customer that's super upset and MF it on the phone. Who does she think she is? And blah, blah, blah. And I always remind the guests, like, when so-and-so woke up this morning to do your hair and she put her heart and soul behind it, I can promise you, never once did she think, I can't wait to ruin this lady's life. I can't wait to make her next 30 days of her hair for her to hate. I want her to hate herself. There's nobody that does what we do that's vindictive. Yeah. So like, that's my number one thing. I always like create a sense of like heart and shape behind the chair. So that's like number one as a salon owner. Go ahead. Yeah. And safety for your staff. Like they know, you know, they're not going to get thrown under the bus by you just because, you know, client didn't have a great experience. Exactly. And every bad service, and we don't have a lot of them, but if we do, I don't find it necessary to go tell the girl or the guy in my salon. It's like, People say to me, oh, well, that's good coaching. I mean, I guess it depends on how you accept coaching because I can tell you as a hairdresser, nothing hurts more than when someone defames your work. It's horrific. If I can protect the people that I work with, I will do it at every stake to make sure. And loyalty comes secondary because of that. Like you'll notice your staff will become more loyal. So that's like number one. Um, I include my staff in a lot of decisions, which a lot of people don't agree with, but I do. I find that um, as a salon owner, if we're having a dress code issue, I get my whole staff together and I say, tell me what the dress code should look like. I let them decide the dress code. Now, don't get me wrong. If it's booty shorts and bathing suit tops and flip-flops, sure. I'm going to obviously say something. But the thing is, is if I give them the lane to drive down, I always find that the success of the turnout is 10 times better than I ever expected. And now I have an accountability partner. Now it says, oh, no, no. Do you remember that meeting we had? Right there, it said accountability. You're the one who came up with this dress code. So now you have to follow through. The things like that I've been doing for my staff, and I've noticed, um, and this is just in the last couple of years, has been huge. I also, too, recommend for every salon, you got to do a team build. Team building is imperative. We do team build at least one to two times a year. Um, And it has nothing to do with hair. So, for example, last year we did a self-defense class. I brought my staff to a place where I taught them how to have technique if they're ever attacked in a parking lot. Yeah. Like 
give them give them skills outside of the location versus just education. Um, and like this year, we're doing one with a life coach, an empowerment coach, teaching you how to use your voice and the importance mm-hmm. of creating boundaries, which are based on values. So we're yeah, doing so that here in a few weeks. Her name is uh, her name's Laura. She's uh-huh. actually my empowerment. He's, she's my empowerment coach. And okay. I also recommend everybody needs a coach. I mean, Chris, you and I've talked about this. You and I've talked about this several times. So about yeah. like me needing a coach. And I recently just hired a coach and I'm finally investing money in myself just to become a better communicator. Yeah. I'm horrible at communication. Horrible. Like I think people think like I'm like people look at me and they're like, oh my God, she looks like the meanest person in the world. It's like, no, I'm actually a really nice person. But <laughs> And people think I'm super confrontational and I'm like, I hate confrontation. I run from confrontation. And now I'm realizing how important confrontation is, you know? So key points of being like a really good salon owner, key points about being a good stylist is staying above trend. Uh, Anna Wintour made a really good point one time. And she said, if the consumer knows it's happening, it's too late. So you should always know what's happening next, not what's happening now, which is super, super important as a stylist. Um, continuing education. I know the salon provides education. If they don't, find education. Totally. You know, there's so much free outlet out there. If you're not, if you're struggling with money, I can promise you, I can find free education everywhere. Everywhere. Um, also, too, with that, I would say, put your work out there. So when it comes to social media, I think sometimes yeah. we're so afraid what people are going to think. If you love what you do, who cares what people think? I don't read the comments. Someone has something shitty to say about me, say it. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm at a place in my life, it could be my age, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, no Fs given. Go sit on it. I could care less. Where's your work at? No offense, but people that are usually defaming or slandering someone's work doesn't even have work out there. Look at their social media. It's ice cream cones and their freaking last night's dinner. Go pound sand. You know what I'm saying? Like, so when it comes down to it, I think social media is a really, really great course of action. Um, don't concentrate on the likes. Don't concentrate on your following. Concentrate on the work you're putting out there. Put yeah. your efforts in that. But I always tell people, whenever you post something on social media, remember, it's out there for the rest of your life. So yes. one of my key points is I never post partying. I never post alcohol. Oh. I never post you know, anything inappropriate, like yeah. at least I don't think is inappropriate. I don't yeah. think the F word's inappropriate. It's just yeah. to be clear. Yeah. But, you know, create a standard for what your screen should look like and roll from there. Yeah. No, that's amazing stuff, dude. We could talk about this all day. I mean, you know, just touching on like different things like values. I mean, values is a place where we spend time. John, John obviously had to leave the room. Um, and so you and I are continuing this conversation. But, uh, you know, we always talk about, we wish our company manual just had six words and that's our core values. And like, if you're not living towards your value and if you're living away from your value, either one of those is going to, you know, basically direct your behavior. Like if if I know if I'm going to do some shit in the salon, if it has to do with teamwork, if it has to do with fulfillment or innovation or any one of our core values, like then I can know that I can do this if I'm doing anything that's walking away from that and it's the same thing as a person, you and I had real similar experiences back to like having a coaching experience and getting on a plane and going flying home and going, fuck, like, I don't, I don't know that I I don't, I don't think I'm going to keep doing this. And the reality is in, in looking back best experience of my life, 
bad coaching on their part, but best experience of my life because it gave me the ability to decide like, you know what? I don't actually have to listen to what everybody else says all of the time. You know, I mean, I, I can that. take good advice. I can take a great suggestion, but like, I don't have to listen. Uh, you know, I, I hear you, I hear what you said, but it doesn't have to have an effect on me or if it affects me, it can be through the overcome or through the breakthrough or going, you know what? I'm going to get so good that you're not going to have shit to say the next time you see me, <laughs> you know? Seriously, you and, know. Uh, yeah. Chris, uh, you, do you remember Jason Morgan? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Jason and I were talking one day and I was, I was talking about coaching and I'll never forget these words. He said to me, he goes, Leah, coaching is an opinion. Yeah. It's an opinion. Yeah. And everyone's got one. And it's like, the minute I heard that I was like, middle finger up, you're right. It's the truth. It's like coaching is an opinion. And sometimes it's like, you're hurt. You're hearing the person saying it to you and you're thinking, I don't even expect you as a person, let alone your opinion. Yeah. So once you can get past that, it's like, and that's the thing about trolling on social media. It's somebody's opinion who gives a shit. And the minute you can get over that, it's like your work will get better and better and better. You know, it's like you'll become better as a human being. It's like, stop living your life for other people and live your life for yourself. And I, I'm so embarrassed to say, I learned at the age of 40. I mean, come on. It's when it comes. It's, and it's a good thing thing to hear because I work with a bunch of 25 year olds and they're so, you know, I see them so talented and so afraid at the same time. And my message to them is, look, it gets better. It gets with it. At some point, you're going to, you're not going to feel this way your whole life. You're going to be a different person and you're going to realize because the person I'm staring at on this screen right now, not everybody can see you. Obviously, nobody won't see you on this podcast. Um, you're a young, you're a young kid can. still. You've got it. You got a lot of shelf life left. And so, you know, that. it's all the Botox. Yeah. But so, if, <laughs> I but so, so if you were to feel, you know, the way you felt the insecurities, then if you carried them now, boy, that would be a struggle. You know, I wouldn't wish yeah, that. It's on. true. Um, but the insecurities, I think, make you strong, too. It's like I look back at all the things that I and the trials and tribulations I've been through, and I wouldn't I wouldn't return any of it. I would no, I would go 100%. through it all over again. hundred percent. So I appreciate I that. that. Yeah, thank you. Um, hey, listen, uh, God, we've covered just so much good stuff, and you've been so gracious with your time. I know you're getting prepared for a trip. I guess as we start to wind this down, I just – um, are there any, anything you feel like we're leaving on the table, anything, you know, since you have an audience right now that you want to, um, maybe just put a, put a message to, or any lesson maybe for, a, for a lot of, a lot of the people that listen to us are, are students in, uh, in, at the CUNY Academy by one, two, four or in hair school. Yeah. Um, what would you say to somebody new coming into the industry that's still trying to figure it out? Um, you know, I think a couple things, uh, number one especially for my new people in the industry and even existing license holders. We have an epidemic that's happening in our world and they're taking our license away from us. And people don't understand that education will only keep our license valid. And the one thing I've noticed and and God bless all the YouTubers and I'm like, I've been on YouTube too, but you know what? We've given a lot of our secrets away and that's what's making our industry to me less valued. So it's like, the more we give to the consumer, the more they think they could do it themselves. So I kind of feel like we need to draw back education and go back to, like, I hate to say it old school. It's like writing notes. We've gotten away from phone conversations, face-to-face, 
value. Everything's text message now. We've gotten away from writing notes. Like to me, writing a note means more to me than anything. And I can tell you the 21-year-old that gets a birthday card at my salon is like, oh my gosh, look at this note she wrote me. Everyone values personal touch. So the thing I want to say is um, to my new ones and my pre-existing ones and my ones that are, you know, doing hair, you know, as long as, as long as their lives, you know, we have to bring back the importance of education because if we don't, they're going to take our license away and this industry is going to become completely unvalued and your service will become unvalued and then we'll become to be obsolete. So number one thing is I think we need to raise awareness through our whole entire industry, the importance of beauty school, the importance of maintaining a license, the importance of education, the importance of keeping our industry professional and not letting some legislative cabinet take it away from us. It's bullshit. It's like, you don't do what we do. You have no idea the training we go through and how hard it is to cut a fade, for example, or how hard it is to do a balayage or a biolage, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's like, to me, it's like, we need to come together as a force to tell people and share the importance of what we do because it will be taken away. Don't think it won't be. It's going to be. It's starting to. So become more of a voice and don't think that one voice doesn't change everything. It's just like a vote. People think if I don't vote, it's no big deal. You have to vote. Everyone needs to vote. That's what makes our world amazing. I've been to, Chris, third world countries where your opinion doesn't make a shit a matter. We're one of the only countries. We're one of the only countries where your opinion can change something. Use it. Be proud of it. I mean, be honored by the fact there are people out there right now risking their lives in home with their families to allow us to make choices. You know, it's like, I don't know, use your voice, become to be vocal, hashtag it, put it in social media, talk to your customers about it. You know, just raise awareness. I think it's the number one thing yeah. I would tell anybody right now. Yeah. No, get involved. And, you know, I mean, it's really one of the reasons why we started this podcast was just, we, we want, we want people to know that, you know, you might be in it alone. You know, we know that there's a lot of different ways people are doing business now, but, but, uh, or you might feel like you're in it alone, but you're not, you know, that, that hairdressing really is a community. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. And man, professionalism is just one of those things that will never go out of style. At least we hope it won't. At least we hope yeah. it won't. Uh, you know, uh, I recently had an experience. I'll, I'll end with this where I spoke at a, uh, a hair school uh, and um, been doing a lot of that lately. And this particular school, uh, you know, I could feel that there wasn't an enormous value on professionalism. Um, and I just thought like, man, they're selling these kids licenses and they're not even preparing them for it. And, you know, what do they share? Like, what's the message that they're really, they're really sending us. And so um yeah, I mean, uh, from the formative, and then you know, we have people inside of this company been working here twenty eight years, uh, and it's amazing. And I like super honor those people. Uh, and you know, at the same time, they like suit up and show up every day. And to take to take that license away at this stage of the, of the game, that would be really uh, that'd be that'd be no good or tough. Dress for the, yeah, dress for the job you want, not the one you have. You know, it's yeah, like it's you see it all the time. It's like I. And I go into salons. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You're yeah. wearing flip-flops and a pair of booty shorts. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like, Chris, it's like whenever I interview people, the first thing I look at, which people don't realize, is their email address. If I see double Ds at yahoo.com, you're not getting hired. I got news for you. <laughs> yeah. 
congratulations, you are blessed with the best, but the reality is it shouldn't be an email address. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. So it's like, yeah, don't, don't, don't make our industry be what people think it is. I don't know what that, what I'm trying to say, but it's like, yeah, no, we've, we've come a long distance of like people respecting what we do. It's like, don't, don't degrade it or make it look less than what it really is. So yeah. Yeah. Leah, thank you so much. Um, you know, in, in the spirit of gratitude, um, just for giving your time and, uh, and, and to the listeners, thank you so much for, uh, listening to this conversation. I'm sure you enjoyed this conversation as I did. I mean, just, you dropped so many bombs that John and I talked way freaking less than we usually do. Um, you know, just because you had so much to say that I think people need to hear. Um, we work with 130, um, female hairdressers inside of our company. Um, I'm one of, one of two guys and, um, uh, and those girls, I just watch them suit up and show up every day. And they're, they're amazing moms. They're amazing to each other. They're supportive of each other. And, um, you know, listening to you, I think was, was just really, uh, reassuring for us that, you know, it's, it's amazing that, you know, the, I don't know, the living and the gifts that this industry just keeps giving. It's freaking phenomenal. You're one of them. So, um, so thanks for that. Um, if you like what you heard today, please pound the subscribe button. And, um, as always, uh, if you, if you, uh, heard this podcast, please screenshot it and share it in your Instagram stories and we will share you. And of course, if you could give us a wicked good review, five stars, that's what we like the best. Um, until next time, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Leah, thank you again. And thank you. Bye. Um, that was awesome, Lee. I just want to.